morning again. In uh, his best-selling book, uh, Robert Fulgham writes these words. He says, all I really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be, I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not the top of the graduate school mountain, but there was a sand pile at Sunday school. And these are the things that I learned. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. <laughs> We're still working on that at our house, but uh, with our oldest. Um, warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Live a balanced life. Learn some and think some. Draw and paint, sing and dance, play and work every day some. Take a nap every afternoon. When you go out into the world, watch out for traffic, hold hands, and stick together. Wonder, remember the little seed in the styrofoam cup? The roots go down, the plant goes up, nobody really knows how or why, but we are like that. And here's the deal, everybody has a list like that. Uh, everybody has a list of things that uh, you say or things that have been said to you that you have repeated, and someday your kids or your grandkids will repeat those words that you said again and again and again. We all have a list like that. They will be repeated. You remember when mom used to say? You remember when dad used to say? You remember when grandpa and grandma used to say? And these things tend to be repeated. So this has been the book of Galatians for the last 12 weeks, and we're right at the tail end of it. You can open up to Galatians 6, and Paul is going to drive home a couple of very important points uh, one more time uh, as he closes out the book. The title of this section of the scripture is called Final Exhortations, and he is going to remind us some things that are really, truly important. All right, and, and if you uh, have been tracking with us through the book of Galatians, you know that there are these different banners of the book of Galatians, these kind of uh, title headings that almost the whole book could, could fit under, right? One of those uh, title headings is that Jesus is enough. His grace is enough. His work is enough. His Holy Spirit is enough. Jesus is enough. That's one title heading. A lot of the book of Galatians could fit under that. Another title heading is Jesus is enough for everyone, right? He is for everyone. Everyone is welcomed into his families. You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to be Gentile. You don't have to be male. You don't have to be female. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be poor. Everybody can come to Jesus and be welcomed in his family. That is a title banner of the book of Galatians. And the last one is that you have experienced through Jesus freedom, Freedom from anxiety about your eternity. Jesus has secured your eternity. Freedom from hopelessness. Freedom from the judgment that comes from trusting the law. Jesus came to make us free. And so now we're in the last few verses of this great book. And Paul is going to make a few kind of final points that he wants to drive us home with as we head into the fall and uh, some really important things. And we're just gonna take these kind of uh, verse by verse. But the way that you can know that Paul is really serious about this is actually what he says in verse 11. He says, see what large letters I use and I write to you with my own hand. Paul wrote almost all of his letters using a, a scribe. He struggled uh, at this point in his life with a lot of people think blindness. He couldn't see very well. So Paul says, listen, I am now, I've taken the pen from the scribe 
And now I am writing to you in my own handwriting. This is how important this is. And this does mean something. Uh, this last Mother's Day, I took Sam uh, to Walgreens and I had, her pick, had him pick out a card for his mother uh, for Mother's Day. And he picked out a card that he thought was most appropriate. And then when we brought it home, uh, he wrote a little personal message in, in the card. And the letters were big and they were misspelled but those words meant more than the card uh, because they were in his own, own handwriting, his own thoughts to his mom. And this is the same idea. Paul says, I am writing, you see how large the letters are? I can't see very well. I'm writing this in my own handwriting so that you will know it's important. Verse 12, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. So Paul says, as you struggle to do away with the law, to, to move away from the law and move toward Jesus, the thing that is going to pull you away from Jesus and back toward the law is the temptation to be impressive. So Paul says, avoid that temptation altogether. Don't feel like you have to be impressive. And remember, Paul has been writing this whole book to people who were most tempted to trust in their own holiness for their salvation. They were tempted to trust in their own righteousness, their own good works, that maybe they didn't really need Jesus. Maybe on their own, they could find right standing with God. They didn't really need grace. They didn't really need mercy. They had bought into this lie that their own holiness and their own righteousness was uh, enough. And Paul says, no, 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 you need Jesus. And the thing that's gonna pull you back to the law is the temptation to be impressive. See, we all need Jesus. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I went ahead and did a Greek study on that before I left for vacation. And the word all means all. I fall short of the glory of God. You fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of the glory of God. I heard it said uh, really well right before I left. It said, his good is bigger than my bad. Right? His good is bigger than my bad. I fall short. Jesus makes up the difference. That is the gospel. And so this isn't about wallowing in our mistakes. This is about being honest about who we are, that we are sinners in need of grace. And then it's about receiving his grace and receiving his forgiveness. So we don't have to follow, wallow. Instead, we can walk in new life. And Paul is arguing that what drives a person to trust in themselves is the temptation to be impressive. And listen, there is a part of all of us that struggle with this. There is. There's a part of us all that struggles with it. We want people to be impressed by our parenting. We want people to be impressed by our work product. We want people to be impressed by our marriage. And Paul says it is that temptation the temptation to be impressive that drives us away from Jesus and toward the law. This is the driving force behind social media. You can craft a message, you can post a picture that indicates to people that you are indeed impressive, right? We don't post the core meltdown of our kids. We don't post the vacation gone awry. We don't post the failure at work. We post the impressive because we want people to be impressed with us. And it does two things that are not good. It creates an undue pressure on myself and others. It creates an undue pressure on me because I wanna impress you. 
I want you to be impressed by my life and by my work and by my marriage and by my children. So it creates this kind of undue pressure on ourselves to be impressive, but it creates an undue pressure on the people around me to indicate that my life is an oppressive life. So I put an undue pressure on my kids or on my marriage or on the people at work of make me impressive. Help me impress the people around me. And then the second thing it does is if I'm not impressive, then somebody must be to fault for that. And most of the time it's not going to be me. So I begin to blame the people around me when my life isn't as impressive as I want it to be. And I can be mean and harsh and even cruel. And because of Jesus, here's the message of the gospel. Because of Jesus, you don't have to be impressive. Jesus was impressive. Because of the cross of Christ, you don't have to be impressive. You just have to be real. And so the gospel frees us up to be authentic and real, that we don't have to be impressive anymore and places undue pressure on ourselves that at times crushes us, if we're honest. It at times crushes the people around you. You may wonder, the people around you may wonder, what is their problem? They want you to help them be impressive. That is their problem. And they feel like you're falling short of that. So it creates this pressure on me. It creates this pressure on the people around me. And the gospel frees us of it. It says, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He is the impressive one. Come to him and lay down the temptation to be impressive. And in the, in the, in the cross of Christ, just be real. Just be you, impressive or not. I'm not saying you're never impressive. I'm sure you are, right? I'm not knocking on you here, right? There are times we're all impressive and then there are times where we need to walk into church and somebody says, how are you doing? And the answer to, needs to be not great. Not great. We were fighting all the way to church until the minute we hit the door, right? Maybe that's your answer for today. Then you hit the door, how are you today? Glory, hallelujah, praise be to the son of God, right? We kind of, you were just screaming at your kids in the car, right? Believe it or not, the preacher's ride to church is sometimes that way too. And the, the cross of Christ frees us up to, be, to move away from impressiveness and toward authenticity. All right, Paul goes on. The only reason they do this, he's talking about the legalists now. So he says, in one way, they want to impress others. And then he gives a second reason why they're doing what they're doing. He says, the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. So part of Paul's accusation here against the legalists is that part of the reason they're falling into legalists is that those that were clinging to the grace of Jesus and those that were clinging to Christ were coming under persecution. And so they said, well, I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to fall under hardship. And so they were falling into law just to avoid hardship. And we have to be honest that sometimes those of us uh, that, that regularly worship uh, Jesus, uh, the cross is not offensive to you, but we have to own that there is an offensive side of the cross. Paul talks about this, the, the, the offense of the cross. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, but just indulge me for a few minutes to talk about it again, that here are some ways in which the cross is offensive. The cross offends my righteousness. Because a, poor, a core part of the message of the cross is that we are sinners desperately in need of grace. And we live in a culture right now that doesn't want to accept that we are sinners. Instead, it wants to accept that we are all moral. 
but we all can't be right, correct? <laughs> right? That we are all moral. We are all good people. And so we live in a culture that is desperate to be seen as moral. And the cross preaches it to us that we are sinners. Right? And so we will use social media to preach our own righteousness. We will use social media to stand in judgment of others. And it is all a desperate ploy to be seen as good and righteous and holy. And the cross confronts my righteousness. The cross tells me that my righteous deeds are but rags and I am in desperate need of God's grace. And so I come to Jesus for his grace. And so the, the cross is always coming at me with this idea of you're not as righteous as you think you are. You need grace, you need grace, you need grace. The cross confronts my righteousness. The cross confronts and offends my ability. That we are, in our country, we are desperate to be seen as able that we can accomplish anything at any time if given enough time. Our culture says to us, I am able. The cross says to us, Jesus is able. There are some things that we are not able to fix. Our sinful problem is one of them. And so the cross tries to humble us, to drive us to Jesus, and we want to believe we are able. I can be good enough. I can be righteous enough. I can be holy enough. And the cross says, no, you got to let that go. Jesus is able. Come to him. He is holy enough. He is righteous enough. He is good enough. Come to him. And so the cross confronts and offends my sense of ability. The cross offends my authority. We are a culture that knows. Go to Twitter after church and you'll see what I mean. That we all know what to do. We all know what is right. I know what is good. I know what is right. I know what you should do. I know what the president should do. I know what Congress should do. We have all of the answers to all of the world's problems. And the cross reminds me that in my own authority, I will lead myself to death just like Adam and Eve did. I need a savior who will lead me to life. And I really believe that when Jesus is your supreme sense of authority, righteousness, and strength, there are going to be times that are awkward as a Christian. That when you take a stand for something that God's word takes a stand about, when you speak up for something that is right, that that God says is right, when, when you say something not many are prone to say, this could result in hardship for you. It could result in strained friendship for you. It could result in loss of job for you. And Paul is saying, avoid the temptation to take the easy road. Avoid, there's a temptation in us that says, no, I'll just fall in line. I'll fall in line with culture. I'll fall in line with whatever is being said on social media. I'll I'll fall in line and avoid hardship. And Paul says, avoid that temptation. Often the harder road is the correct road. And if you are laughed at, if you are made fun of, if you are unfriended, if you fall under hardship, if you even worse lose your job, if something happens, if, if the biblical position, I know this is hard to imagine, but if the biblical position is called the evil position, and all of a sudden Christianity becomes uh, accused of being evil, if all of that were to happen in our culture, remember the words of Jesus. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, 
and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And I certainly don't want to draw a comparison to being unfriended on Facebook with what the early apostles went through. That would be ridiculous. I do think there is a sense of us that we as Christians living in America, we need to be a little hardier stock, right? Somebody unfriends you on Facebook. I'm being persecuted. Stop it. You're not. You're not, all right? Somebody unfriended you because they didn't like what you posted. You're not being persecuted. Paul was persecuted. Peter was persecuted. These guys lost their lives, all right? The text continues. Not even uh, those who were circumcised keep the law, yet they want, all right, so he's saying, even those that are trusting the law, they don't fully keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me uh, and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. So Paul says, as you're running after Jesus, be very careful about the temptation to be boastful. Right? Boasting will draw you back to law. Sometimes Paul says we are tempted to the law, I think. We are tempted to trust in our good works because whatever reason, as human beings, we are drawn to boasting. That we want people to think of us as a good person or a good citizen or a good Christian. And I will tell you, and I'm, there's been a lot of social media illustration in this, but I do think social media um, really almost encourages this, encourages this. Like I said, we don't post the meltdown, right? right? I posted the picture on vacation of my kids at Lake Superior overlooking happy. I didn't post the car ride home yesterday, which was awful, <laughs> right? I didn't post, please pray for me. We left a family of four, we're coming back a family of three, right? I didn't post that, right? Because it wouldn't be appropriate, and this probably isn't either, right? Eight and a half hours with an eight-year-old, not a good recipe for fun, right? And so we, we just tend to do that. We post the mountain view overlooking Lake Superior. We don't post the car ride home uh, where there's meltdowns and difficulties and the end of the world, right? We post the successful project, not the failed project. We post the moral success, not the moral failure. We post victories, not failures. And um, we wanna be careful about being drawn to being boastful. Um, It's a thing to consider. Paul says, uh, may I never boast in anything except in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul had this habit of whenever he wanted to boast about someone or something, he would always tie it to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there is a way to boast about family that also boasts in the Lord. There is a way to boast about a work project that also boasts in the Lord. There is a way to boast about your life that also boasts about the Lord, that, that, that uh, points people to grace, that points people to Jesus, uh, that, that points people to, to his power made perfect in our weakness. And this can happen. I think we just have to think through this a little bit as we're talking to people, as we're posting, as we're interacting with people just in life of, man, how can I find a way to, to have the success be a boast about the Lord? 
man, I'm grateful that God gave us the money to do that, or I'm grateful that God gave me the ability to do that, or I'm grateful that God was with me every step of the way, to find some way to point to his grace, to point to his kindness, uh, to point to his power. Paul continues, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. That's how Paul's gonna end his letter. He's like, stop is essentially what he's saying. Stop causing me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I've had enough trouble. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Brothers and sisters, amen. Love the way he ends. Because he ends the same way he started. You remember the way it started 12 weeks ago? Uh, back when we were uh, wide-eyed, excited about the summer, right? Now as we're drawn to an end, Paul started the same way he ends. He says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, uh, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He ends the same way he begins. It is a reminder of grace. And this has been my prayer for me, uh, my, my prayer for us, for me and for you, is that we would walk in and we would remember and we would celebrate grace. This is what the book of Galatians is all about, is that Jesus is enough. His grace is enough for you. His power is enough for you. His spirit is enough for you. Don't be tempted to trust in you when you can trust in him. So several years ago, we did a sermon series, uh, way back actually, uh, we did a sermon series called Dear Church. And uh, we were studying some of the different uh, epistles uh, of the New Testament, some of the letters of the New Testament. And uh, I would preach each of those messages. And at the end of it, I would kind of translate the general message of the book for a letter for all of you. Um, and I, I think this was back, I think it was 2008, 11 years ago that we did this. And I wanted to bring, we did Galatians in that sermon series, and I wanted to close the series out by bringing that letter back. Because as I went back and looked at that message where we just kind of looked at Galatians from way up in the sky, when I went back and looked at the letter, um, it, is, it is still the way my heart beats right now, 11 years later. Uh, it is still what I believe, and it is still what I want for us as a church. And so here's the letter. It says, Dear Northwest Christian Church, my deepest concern for you is that you would fall into the trap of believing that your standing before God is dependent on what you do. My fear is that you will forget about Jesus and will work and strive to make yourselves right before God. You will give into the temptation to be impressive, boastful, to go along, to get along. And slowly faith will become about your holiness and your righteousness. Unfortunately, I know where this mindset leads. I have seen it firsthand. This mindset will lead you to be prideful about the many righteous things you have done. This mindset will lead you to become judgmental and harsh toward others who you believe aren't following God as well as you are. This mindset will lead you away from joy, hope, and peace as you have always wondered if you've done enough. But most importantly, this mindset will lead you away from Jesus. It is destructive, it is devastating, and it is all too common in churches today. One of the part that of this letter, the part that this flows from is in that message, I kinda, it was confessions of a recovering legalist. 
um, and about how I have always struggled, right? Most pastors do. It's why we do what we do. Um, that uh, a lot of pastors struggle with, I want to make myself right with God by, by serving him and, and by doing, doing good things. So I, I talked about being a recovering legalist and my journey to grace, but that section is about that. So my deepest desire for you is that you would love Jesus. My desire is that your faith would be in him and in him alone. My hope is that you would love him, worship him, obey him, and follow him all the days of your life. My prayer for us is that we as a church would be known as a church that extravagantly and passionately and consistently loves Jesus with our entire heart, soul, mind, and strength. And once we've given ourselves over to faith in Jesus as a church and as individuals, that our faith would be a faith that expresses itself in love. I can see clearly that we will continue to be a church that loves and serves and makes a difference in our community, not because it makes us right with God, but because we love Jesus so much that we can't help but serve others like he did his entire life. Let us hold Jesus up. Let our faith be in him always. May we continue to walk and yes, run in God's grace every day. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness. May we love it. May we walk in it. May we celebrate it. May we be a people that are wholly dependent on you. And as we receive your Holy Spirit, of course we're gonna be spurred on to good deeds. Of course we're gonna be spurred on to effort and righteousness. But it won't be so that we'll be saved. We are saved by you. It is because we are saved. It is because we have received your spirit. It is because we love you so much. May grace always come first. It is in the name of our Lord Jesus that we pray. Amen.